Hello and welcome. Today we have a really interesting podcast. Uh, today we're going to explore leadership in a slightly different domain, how leadership comes together to solve a crisis or attempt to solve a crisis. I have two very special guests with me. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. As always, our focus is going to be on uh, meaningful work and opportunities to rise up as leaders. So let's get started. Um, Irem, maybe with you. Hi, um, I'm Iram Tumar, um, and I work uh, for the United Nations um, Population Fund, UNFPA, uh, where I'm the focal point for youth leadership and participation. Um, I'm very excited to join the podcast, and I'm connecting from New York, where we have our headquarters. Awesome. Um, and Igor? Hi, my name is Igor Lacerdino. I'm a design manager at Prezi, the presentation software company. Um, I'm speaking from Budapest right now, where I'm based, but I'm originally from Brazil. So what's it like in New York and Budapest right now? Well, New York, I guess, is all on the news. So a lot of people are seeing that we have very high accounts um, of uh, COVID cases and that's unfortunately. So um, for such a bustling city at normal times, it is in a very empty and quite um, sad state. Um, despite that, we are still going on um, with our work, uh, even though we are not going into our offices um, and hoping that the curve will flatten and go down soon. Yeah, the same, the same here in Budapest. Uh, it's been over, I guess, 40 days that I'm social distancing and avoiding going out as much as possible. But lately, they're starting to, to loosen some of the rules and people are now wearing masks outside, so there's there are a couple of new things happening, but everybody is is social distancing. I see. Um, I like to use the word physical distancing because you know at times like yeah. these, we really need uh, social connections to come together to avoid loneliness and produce new collaboration opportunities. One of which we are here to explore today on the podcast. So, what are you both up to these days? I am actually very excited to um, have launched a campaign called Youth Against COVID-19 um, with the collaboration of our technology partner Prezi um, and also Igor, um, who is on the podcast. And um, with this campaign, we launched a six-part video series um, that focuses on different aspects of how young people are affected by COVID-19, but also how they can take action against it. Um, and what is interesting is that we are using the Prezi video platform, which Igor can um, tell us a little bit more about, which allows for any young person watching the videos to recreate their own videos. Um, so we're just very um, excited about this collaborative video campaign that we are working on. I see. Um, and uh, why did you create this video campaign? What was the overarching goal? I think the overarching goal for us was twofold. So firstly, we wanted to get um, accurate information um, to our youth audiences. Um, and we know that even if um, a lot of information might be out there, they might not necessarily reflect the needs and concerns of young people. So we tried to gather information and perspectives that would be 
relatable for youth, um, whether it comes to their mental health, their sexual and productive health, or how they want to take action. And, and I think the second... Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, we also know that uh, video has been such an important uh, media type these days in a way to connect people. And we just thought that maybe creating this series with videos where uh, everybody could see whoever is uh, spreading the message and seeing the, the information right next to them would be a good way to, to spread the awareness around COVID-19. No, absolutely. Video is a very powerful platform indeed. Um, so what are you seeing, Irem? What kind of videos are coming up and uh, how are you differentiating uh, the videos that you're producing uh, in collaboration with Igor and his team uh, with respect to the other videos that are uh, spreading around on the, on the internet? So the way this works is that we actually have a, a broader pool of partners than just Prezi and UNFPA. We have worked with a pool of almost 30 partners to discuss um, which areas we would focus on, but also write the scripts together. So every week or so, we release a new episode. And this episode also have, has some recommended key messages and some visual design elements that every uh, new person recreating the videos can use. And so far, it has been an overwhelmingly positive reaction. Um, we had almost 200 people on our webinar. I'm getting emails on a daily basis from youth that want to translate it to their own languages or to just post their own videos. So every day, you know, I open up our social media channels and we see everything from Swahili or to Japanese being, um, you know, shared. So it's been a really good um, traction so far. Understood. Talk to me about the collaboration. How, when you were initially thinking about this campaign, how did you uh, develop some design principles for it? And uh, what are some surprising things that you've learned while running this co co campaign in collaboration with uh, Igor and team? I can briefly talk a little bit about our partnership as UNFPA and Prezi. Um, we actually have been working together with Igor and his team for a few years now. We had previously worked on a leadership toolkit together called Step Up for Social Change. And when the COVID-19 pandemic hit, um, it actually started as a quite um, informal call to Prezi to say, you know, you have this new technology, Prezi Video, and we have all this technical knowledge and outreach to young people. Let's make something great out of this. And that's how it started. And maybe Igor can share a little bit more about what we have found out during the process. Yeah, it's been a couple of years that we've been collaborating together, right, Irin? Um, we started with the Step Up program and we, my team designed the entire toolkit. Uh, we were looking for better ways to spread information around, uh, on the leadership toolkit back then. So we wanted to use a very attractive medium. And that's why Irem came to, to us to ask for help. And we think our values align really, really well with the UNFPA values. And we think uh, that sharing ideas and spreading ideas is the best. And then we released a tool last year called Prezi Video that basically has this same purpose, which is you can share your content in an engaging way and people can reuse that same content that you're sharing. And we just saw an opportunity now that people need so much uh, uh, credited information and very uh, accurate information. 
And maybe using video as a way of spreading that would be the best way. And also the fact that people can reuse the content and we can offer a framework for them to spread the right information was, was a great opportunity for us to collaborate now. So it's been a very interesting journey and I'm really happy with what we've seen already coming up. How do you both choose the themes of the program? Um, so I can go in on that one. It's actually not us choosing the teams, but a group of core partners. So we, on this project, we are partnering for, with global youth organizations and also other UN agencies. So it's everyone from World Scouts to um, UNHCR to Restless Development and you know many other big youth organizations, including Network Capital. And in general, we had a lot of deliberations with our youth partners to ask them, what are the topics that you think need coverage? So it was really the outcome of this consensus that made us uh, decide on topics. And you know, just for uh, everyone to know a little bit more, we started with a 101 COVID prevention video, you know, about the prevention techniques, etc. Then we had an episode on how young people are being affected by the pandemic, really looking into how they can support their families, loved ones, communities, and so on. And then the third and fourth episodes were on sexual health and then mental health. And the last two episodes that are coming out will be about stories of young people taking action and then uh, a gender lens on the pandemic. So I think we are covering a lot of the different dimensions um, that relate to how young people have been affected by COVID-19. Absolutely. I mean, I checked out some of the videos. It uh, It's clear that uh, a lot of them are designed to, uh, to spread accurate uh, information, examples of community leadership uh, with the right color. Um, I want to explore what are some ways in which uh, uh, communities such as Network Capital can engage more meaningfully with what's going on and how can they lend their voice here? Igor alluded briefly to the fact that uh, um, it's reusable, some of this content, the frameworks available. Maybe you want to explain that in more detail? Yeah, um, so every video created uh, has a script and also has all the assets. So whenever you watch a video, you can simply click a button and you will get into a, an editor uh, screen where you can record your own. The difference of Prezi Video is that we don't do any post-production, so the content is already ready. You just need to talk over it. And I think that's one way that made it really easy to get so many videos out and, and how, how easy it, it is to spread and get many more partners helping with that. I see. Is um, that Yeah, sorry. Um, I think my bigger call to action would be like obviously recreating the videos but I think where we are coming from is that young people who are usually the ones that are a lot more um, connected to technology uh, in their households really play a very important role in risk communication and community engagement in their response to the pandemic. So as UNFPA we really um, you know <clears throat> think that young people can play a key role in uh, disseminating the right information about COVID-19 prevention. And this is something that can really save lives all around the world. So I really hope that the network capital community can recreate their videos, think about translating the content, but really, you know, share it around them to um, fight the pandemic. Understood. 
is there some sort of a, a, a fact checking process or what should be um, some ways that we should think about so that uh, authentic verified information gets shared and uh, say conspiracy theories and the likes are avoided is there something in place So from our side, everything that you see on the scripts uh, goes to um, at least five, six different checks from technical perspectives, from communications perspectives. So all the content that we have on the series is either directly World Health Organization guidance or evidence-backed by other means. We are also sharing tips in the descriptions about how people can sign up for the WHO hotline on WhatsApp or other fact-checking organizations. And it's a recurring team in the videos themselves that we say, please um, share the right information, fact check, bust myths, and so on. Obviously, since this is a very open source platform, there might be times when we are not able to control every single recreated video, but we have actually put on a lot of disclaimers and other measures in place. And we constantly moderate the contents um, to try and ensure the quality of all translations and all the recreated videos. Yeah, and Prezi also want, wants to make sure that all these videos are accurate and we are spreading the right information so people can, if they find any issues, they can always report. And we are constantly looking into the content that's coming up. Got it. Um, let's step back for a second. How has uh, the current crisis changed an average day in each of your lives? And uh, could you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and your career and how does this working on this campaign sort of uh, tie into it i can go first um well firstly a bit about my career um so actually i'm a lawyer and my background is in human rights law but for the last four years i've been working at unfpa um, and my day-to-day -day is really about um, ensuring youth participation in international processes so I work a lot with youth organizations or youth networks um, to um, increase their leadership capacity or their organizational capacity, but also get youth representation when we have global processes, whether it's as a general assembly or big global conferences. Um, now tying that into how it has changed after COVID-19. Um, well, firstly, we are all working from home. And typically I used to attend a lot more um, you know, global conferences or travel a lot more for work. So that has definitely not been happening. Um, but I think a positive change is that with this campaign, especially on a day-to-day -day basis, I work with so many partners. Um, and I think just the sheer uh, speed of mobilization around the campaign and the ability to bring so many different stakeholders together has been a, a proof of concept for me. And I really hope that that will be an element that stays even after the pandemic and we'll be able to work in such big partnerships even going forward. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And uh, in my, my case, I come from Brazil. I moved to Hungary five years ago. I have a degree in software engineering, but I've always loved design and I've always played with design. And I've joined Prezi to design presentations a couple of years ago. And I've grown in the company to now manage a team of 10, 10 designers, which one of them is working on this campaign right now and helping with all the assets and creating the original illustrations. And 
being in a tech company, I think it's quite easier in terms of the shifting from the office life to the work from home. It's a bit of a shock in the beginning, but it just changed in a way that you have to definitely be more organized and uh, shifting this uh, perspective. Like you have to have much more communication. You have to share more and you have to hear more what people are, are going through. There is also the emotional factor of it. So when you're working with a big group of people, we have to make sure that everybody is with their mental health state in, in, in a good state. And I think this campaign uh, has also been a great experience to see how much we can get done in such a short time if we know how well to organize all the assets and all the people and if everybody is committed to to the bigger good. And I think that has been a great learning for me. Yeah. Um, one one of you works in an international organization, the other in a in a large multinational. What are some challenges and opportunities of uh, working together when um, you know the settings are different? And uh, what are some things that uh, each of you strongly agreed with and disagreed with while shaping this campaign? Wow, that's a tough question. Let me let me give it a try. Um, I mean, I think some of the challenges of working in a you know big international organization like the UN is just that there are a lot of um, people involved and quite in a quite a hierarchical structure. Uh, but you know, so which means that just for the different aspects of the campaign, whether it is communication or technical input, etc., we need to coordinate with multiple business units in house. I have to say that this has been surprisingly smooth for this campaign because I think um, COVID nineteen made a lot of us come together in a very pragmatic, pragmatic and action oriented way. So, so far, the usual coordination problems that we have or the delays that I would have expected have actually not been the case in this project. Um, and I think what really helped is that with Prezi, we have been working together for a few years and we already had the common agreement of the visual language that we use, but also enough trust um, towards each other and a knowledge of each other's working um, modalities. So I think so far we really didn't have many disagreements or hiccups on the way. Um, also probably because Igor and I had really um, put forward a really structured process in terms of the different um, modalities of production from the very start. Um, so quite a positive experience so far, I think, and a lot of lessons learned in terms of how we can make things run smoothly. Yeah, and I can totally second that uh, Idem's also Idem's organization of this whole project has been making it so much easier from our side, mostly because we are in different time zones, uh, considering we are in Europe, we have to coordinate, but everything has been very well documented. Everybody's sharing information through emails or spreadsheets, so everything is really easily easily accessible. Internally, everybody's super excited because they love seeing new videos coming every day and new examples that we can share. And I work for marketing, so for us, this project has just been one of one of the greatest things this year because we know that we are doing something good and our tool is making is helping making a difference somehow and helping spread the right information. So I think 
yeah, it, overall, the collaboration has been great. And as Irem said, we already had a framework before we we have our own design style for, for the project. We talked so much about the constraints and the things that we can and we couldn't do before we, we launched anything. And I think everything is going so smoothly now because in the first weeks or maybe even in the launch week, we were already making some adjustments and we learned a lot. And I guess now things are just going much easier. So we're learning on the way, but we also had a lot of preparation before. Both of you are career changers, right? You're uh, one is a Turkish lawyer now working at the UN in New York, and you're a Brazilian software engineer working in marketing in Budapest. Um, do you want to share some principles of career transition? How did you think about uh, um, pivoting your career, how much of it has been serendipity and how much of it has been design and how are you both bringing sort of this multidisciplinary, multinational uh, learning to build and shape this campaign? Well, great question. Um, I can tell a little bit about this. Um, for me, I was actually very active in a lot of international youth organizations um, since I was 15 or something. It was like European Youth Parliament. I was a woman delivery young leader. Um, I was also a big part of the Model United Nations Network in Turkey. Uh, so I usually jokingly say I became who I am and grew up in youth organizations. So even though my profession um, is being a lawyer and I was, I'm a member of the Istanbul Bar, um, as I was starting my uh, career in corporate law, I was always looking for opportunities and continuing my involvement um, to be in this youth participation sphere. And for me, this career change came with an innovation fellowship program that UNFPA opened. I think it was around four years ago. Um, and they were selecting innovation fellows from all around the world to come and disrupt how they work. Um, so that's how I uh, made the decision to um, resign from my uh, job as a lawyer and uh, move to New York to give it a try. And that one year fellowship ended up with a new career in international development. Um, so I can really say that these were always common threads in my life. And I was already interested in human rights law before um, coming to the UN. Uh, right. But it was really this leadership um, scheme that made it happen for me. Yeah, in my in my case, uh, it all started. I, I did business information systems, which has a focus on business and software engineering. So I've always been interested in in management and also design as a hobby. But I moved to Budapest back in 2013 for an exchange study uh, that was sponsored by the Brazilian government, and like we sent thousands of students all over the world to to study and and, and do a what we call a sandwich graduation. And back in this year, I heard about Prezi and I heard they had this volunteer program. Uh, and then I just applied to it and I would, I went back to Brazil and I was teaching people in my university how to use Prezi because that was what the volunteer program was about. And we would get some, we would get the opportunity to maybe have an internship at the end of it. Uh, a year later in 2004, uh, 15, actually in 2015, I managed to get an internship and I came back to Budapest for two months. I worked with this team that was creating presentations for clients. And then 
I got the job one year later after I got my degree, which was a complete change. Uh, I have to say, because I was not doing software engineering or any business, I was just doing design, but I, I felt like going to a multinational company where I could uh, improve my English skills and my design skills would be a great opportunity. And I just made my way through management over the years. And I think now I'm in a really happy pay place. And I think what helped a lot in this project, for example, that knowing how to code and how to how some things work in the back end really helped us. For example, I could put together the website for the campaign all by myself and I didn't have to uh, allocate some rest resources for it. And that could probably take us a little longer to get the project out. So I think these things really help when you you, you know a couple of things that, that can uh, speed up the process of creation. So yeah, design and, and coding and business have been uh, in my background and I, I really love the mixture of these three areas and I think they have a lot in common. This is fascinating. It's always such a pleasure to work with, uh, with a multinational, multicultural team. Um, it's just a, a highlight uh, of uh, somebody's uh, you know, experience. Um, how would you measure the success of this program? I think for us, there are a few dimensions that um, come to the front in measuring our success. I think one uh, part is obviously the outreach that we had, you know, and these are things about, you know, how many times these videos were recreated uh, when we also posted these on our social media channels, how much traction did we get and the, you know, usual metrics of how many people we were able to reach. With that said, I think it is also very important for us to make sure that this outreach is of quality and is actually impactful. So I think other um, things that we are looking into are how many languages were these translated into? And so far, I think we have ongoing translations for 25 languages all over the world. Uh, but also collecting success stories from different communities that um, use the campaign and the materials. And as, as the UN, we are also trying to make sure that we leave no one behind as we use this technology. And we are really trying hard to see how we can adapt this to um, some settings where they might not have uh, access to laptop or internet. And for example, in Guatemala, our country office has used the uh, scripts to um, share certain messages through WhatsApp, uh, just on mobile. We know that there are some communities that are thinking of doing radio programs based on the script. We are working with UNHCR and getting some refugee youth to um, record videos using their mobile um, camera and still, um, you know, linking it to the campaign. So for me, these um, stories and these specific communities are also very important to measure our success. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, the more people we, we have uh, getting access to this information, the, best, the better we'll be. And we need to make sure that all of them can get uh, the support to do it. And we know different countries and different places spread information in different ways. And I think knowing that it, uh, it, it goes out on, on any messaging apps or, or social media or even verbally or through, I don't know, a piece of paper, I think it's already a good uh, metric for, for me as well. Yeah, 25 languages and the offline engagement. I think both of them are really, um, really interesting right now. 
Um, I just want to, before we conclude, just get a flavor of the offline engagement. Uh, could you explain to our listeners how is that happening and how can some people who might be digitally less connected or disconnected participate in this campaign? So the way this works is that with every episode, we are essentially also releasing a two-page script, which is the essence of the key messages that have been distilled by the work of partners. And I think using that script and those key messages is the most vital part of converting this to just a mobile format or radio or offline use. So we have open source all of our scripts and also all of our visual assets. So anyone who is interested to disseminate it in a format that is not a video can just use these scripts and key messages and adapt it to their context. Or they can also use any of the visuals that they see on any of the videos. And for example, design um, posters or any other um, printed materials that might be useful to them. For us, um, as UNFPA, we are pushing this campaign through all of our six regions and many country offices. Um, so in many of these settings, we have also worked primarily with the youth partners that we already work with. And we have supported them uh, day to day as UNFPA, um, such as in Guatemala. So they can also reach out to UNFPA to seek support um, in these adaptations. That's wonderful. Um, any examples of your own home countries or your own local communities back home uh, about ways in which they have participated? Um, are you from Turkey, Irem? Uh, sorry, are you from yes. Istanbul? I am from Ankara. Um, okay. I am from Turkey, that is true. Um, we have an ongoing Turkish translation uh, that I'm really excited about. Um, so I really hope that there will be um, more engagement in my country. But I think one example that was really close to my heart is that I come from the European Youth Parliament Network. I was an alumni for um, almost 10 years and EYP has also started disseminating it. Uh, and many of their um, national organizations are translating the um, campaign to European languages. So I think that is also something that is almost my home and really powerful. Awesome. How about you, Igor? Anything you want to share? Yeah, what's interesting in Brazil is that since we speak Portuguese, there are so many other countries that are also speaking the same language. And I think it's beautiful to see how much diversity we have in the Portuguese speaking videos. We have people from all over the world. And I, I just I just I'm just really proud to see that. And I, I'm happy that this content is also getting to Brazilians and that they can see uh, the plurality of our language and how many different people we can have speaking Portuguese as well. Wonderful. So um, now the podcast is coming to a close. What's the first thing people should do after they listen to this podcast? Where should they check you out and how should they participate? I think the first thing they should do is to go to Twitter or Facebook and follow UNFPA and UNFPA Youth. That's where we share all of the different information about the campaign and our latest episodes, so they can connect with us at UNFPA Youth or UNFPA. Super. And uh, we will make sure that this content goes out to our community. I'm sure this has inspired thousands of people all around the world who are Network Capital community members. Um, I just want to make sure that uh, 
I, I leave the last few seconds just to say thank you to both of you for taking time out of your busy lives from New York and uh, Budapest to do this podcast. It was fun speaking with you. Thank you for having us. Thanks.